Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. George is known for its iconic red dirt roads, farming, fried food, and genuine southern culture. There are a lot of things that come to mind when people think about this incredible place, but fishing isn't often one of them. However, in today's episode with Andy Bowen of Cahutta Fishing Company, we are reminded of some of the great opportunities that Georgia has. From bass ponds to mountain streams to chasing reds near Savannah's Marsh, Georgia is not something to be overlooked. Andy and I had the opportunity to spend some time at his home base of Blue Ridge, Georgia, where he showed me their operation at Cahutta, which offers local guided trips, travel opportunities around the world, and a great shop to get you all the gear you need to enjoy whatever water you find yourself on. In this episode, Andy and I discuss his childhood chasing bass and farm ponds, how he made the jump of starting his own outfitter far in his adult career, and the importance of listening and managing others' expectations. Andy also shares a story-turned-nightmare of a GT that got away, and we even had some time to slip down to some local trout water. I learned a lot, and I truthfully had my eyes open to some of the great opportunities Andy's home state offers. I hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. He's out there. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet and it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go and sometimes just that quiet space is is what we need and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand it's this tool that takes you to beautiful places you meet hopefully wonderful people and it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming that shot within a shot that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up as you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Out? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right, well, hey Andy, thanks for hanging out with us and joining us on the podcast. I'm looking forward to spending the day with you and getting on the water. But before we get into all of that and hearing about what you guys are doing here in Georgia, I'd love just to first hear about how you got into um, owning a fly shop and running guides and doing trips. I'd like to hear about the origin of all that. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, <clears throat> it really goes back years ago. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up fishing, grew up in South Georgia. Uh, my mom fished, my dad fished, my sister, everybody in my family fished. Um, basically, the you know pond fishing, Flint River, um, was a big part of my life back in the day. And uh, my dad was a farmer, so we grew up, you know, in that environment of hunting and fishing and farming and what have you. So uh, that's kind of my roots as far as how I got into the sport. Uh, beyond that, um, just over the years, man, I've always done it. I've always enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and. Um, I had an opportunity about 11 years ago to start a fly shop and it's something I've always considered doing and wanted to do and had interest in. So, uh, we opened up in Cartersville, Georgia, 11 years ago and, uh, had that shop for 11 years, been here in Blue Ridge for two now. And, uh, that's kind of the story. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as how it all, you know, came about, uh, when did you first decide that you wanted to have a fly shop? Well, you know, it's, uh, I had a, I had another business going for a while. And once I, uh, um, once I sold that business, I decided that I wanted to do something, uh, in the outdoor industry. Mm-hmm. And I've always had this in my, in mind, but life kind of took me down a different path, you mm-hmm. know, for so long and did some different things in the golf course business, built golf courses, worked in the turf management, you know, world for a while. Oh, interesting. And, uh, I did that, but uh, fortunately, a lot of the golf courses I worked at had some pretty nice ponds on it as well. So I was always trying to sneak <laughs> off and fish as much as possible. Now I know if I have any problems with my yard to start sending you photos and saying, Hey man, what do I need to do? It's with been this? a while. Like, yeah. It's been a while, Hunter. I'm a little rusty on the turf stuff, but I'll do my best <laughs> to help you out. Yeah. So, I mean, at what point did you, how old were you when you first started Cahutta? Uh, see 11 years ago and 53 now. So, uh, okay. 
Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, you're in your forties. I mean, that's a jump. That's a leap to, to go yeah. into something new. What was that like at that time? Well, you know, it's, uh, basically kind of how things worked out was I, uh, once I, uh, I had a, a distribution company, uh, selling products, you know, to, uh, organic fertilizers, what have you, to golf courses, side farms, soccer fields, that type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had that for 11 years. And when I uh, sold that to one of my sales reps, I kept a few accounts and I, so I was a little bit more, had a lot more, a little bit more free time. Yeah. So I wasn't actually running the business at that point. Uh, it was more or less, uh, doing more with, uh, you know, going and seeing clients and what have you, uh, being kind of finished my day a little earlier. So I was mm-hmm. always on the water a lot more. I, I found that I had a pretty good, a uh, lot more free time for that. Um, I, at that point I decided I was working with a buddy of mine, uh, looking to do some guided trips with him. Mm-hmm. I went and got my captain's license. I wanted to go ahead and get that done, uh, to have my captain's license. So, I, I went to sea school, did the whole thing, mm-hmm. got my captain's license. And, uh, and almost simultaneously as I was going to start working with this, this guy, my buddy, he, uh, this opportunity for it. We had a shop in town that closed mm-hmm. and that was kind of a green light for me to open up a shop. So I didn't really, uh, use my captain's license like I had planned initially. Yeah. Um, as much as I'd planned, I still maintain my captain's license, but you know, again, I, I go by Andy Bowen, not captain Andy Bowen. There's mm-hmm. a lot of captains out there, um, that do a good job and do this every day on the water and have a lot of respect for those guys. So mm-hmm. I don't try to come across as I'm like, you know, big captain guy or whatever yeah, yeah. but i um uh, i have a lot of respect for what those guys do on a daily basis and uh and the jobs they do on the water mm-hmm. so um but anyway yeah that's kind of you know how i got going yeah. so for you was there ever a desire to do farming and continue that or was that kind of something that you no nah, no not really i think what kind of led me down that road with uh with turf management was that i spent my whole life outdoors uh, through farming, fishing, hunting, you know, and that type thing. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a natural fit to kind of, because I had kind of an agronomy or, you know, agricultural background. Mm-hmm. To, to move into that was, you know, a little bit easier thing for me to do. I wasn't like a golf pro per se. Mm-hmm. I was more into trenches, you know, irrigation, working on things and, and, and kind of managing the grounds, mm-hmm. you know, the golf courses. So um, anyway, um, but yeah, so that's kind of. Do you feel like there were certain things about growing up in that environment, kind of on farms, outdoors, with a dad who worked the land that has benefited you in running a shop and running a guiding business? 100%. You know, the biggest thing is work ethic. You know, I grew up working, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, working hard, you know, working with my dad on the farm and so forth. And uh, as as you get older, you start really realizing, you know, the things that, the, that you were taught as a, as a child, mm-hmm. how much it really have impacts your life as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, you know, I was very fortunate and had two wonderful parents that, you know, that cared about me, loved me and, mm-hmm. and taught me the right things to do in life and how to treat people and, and, you know, how to just carry yourself as a person. And mm-hmm. those, those are lifelong lessons, man. And, you know, not everybody gets that. So, yeah, hundred percent. I'd say, um, just how to treat people and, and, and work ethic is, yeah. is the biggest to take home, you know, messages I got from my parents, you know? So, yeah. And, and now you have the opportunity to be a part of overseeing several guides who are interacting with people, taking people out on the water. What do you try to teach them about how to treat people? What's important to you from a business standpoint and at, from a guiding standpoint? Yeah. I mean, you know, First and foremost, I mean, one of the things that we tell everyone, whether they're, they're employees in the shop or guides that work with us at Cahutta, um, is is just treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, mm-hmm. uh, be be sincere, uh, no BS. You know, just uh, just just be a, a real person. Um, you know, and I also stress the fact that when our guides have clients on the water, they're kind of their caretakers for the day. Mm-hmm. You know, and it goes beyond just catching fish sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to make sure those folks are, uh, you know, are healthy and they, they, they take care of them you know, for the day. It may sound kind of goofy, but it's also when you're wading around in streams and, and doing different, if, whether you're in a boat or on a stream, uh, just, you got to be careful, you know, and make sure that, um, that, you know, the safety aspect is in place and, beyond all the things you got to do to help uh teach them to catch fish or help them catch fish you know with that part of it so that's 
that's one part of it. And the other thing is, as far as in the shop, is we've always stressed that, you know, we don't judge people. You know, it's one mm-hmm. of those things. Like when people walk in the shop, man, you know, it's uh, everybody's a person, and, and it doesn't matter what how they're dressed or what they're wearing or what have you, man. It's mm-hmm. like we we're here to help them. We're here to help them get into the sport, educate them on the proper ways to get started, and um, and hopefully. Uh, you know, build a relationship with those customers, you know, and that's one thing that I've really, truly enjoyed about this business is not just meeting people, but building relationships. You know, we've got clients that we've had for over 11 years and they're like friends now, you know, mm-hmm. they go on these travel trips with us. They do a lot of different things and obviously we a guide service as well. So, uh, I really enjoy that aspect of taking someone that's never seen a fly rod Mm -hmm. never really but always have been kind of intrigued by the sport and then watch them grow and be able to come back in they're showing us pictures on their iphone about all Mm -hmm. these fish they've caught or the experiences they've had and it's it's pretty gratifying Mm -hmm. yeah why why do you think that has historically been such an issue with fly shops and you even shared with me a story where somebody was kind of being judgy or looking down on you or something, you know, because you were from Georgia and you weren't from one of the big, <laughs> you know, this guy's not from one of the big trout epicenters of the world in, in that person's eyes. Right. Why do you think that's such an issue? I, I don't really know, man. I really don't. It's, uh, you know, it's fishing. You know, at yeah. the end of the day, we're, we're fishing. And and uh, it's, uh, I've been fortunate to be able to travel and go to a lot of cool places and, and mm-hmm. go to a lot of different destinations and what have you. And I'm I'm very ob- observant, you know. I try to be observant of what's going on around me, mm-hmm. and uh, and when you go into a shop, you know, I've unfortunately had some experiences where you may go into a shop and someone there's an employee over there tying a fly or whatever, and just too busy to talk to you uh, mm-hmm. for whatever reason or act like you're not in the store. Um, I've always taken the approach that that's the last thing we'll be. We we want to greet people, want to be friendly. Want to again be sincere, be real, be authentic, and how we go about doing our business, and uh, all that to me is just the way it needs to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not uh, we're not building rockets; it's, we're fishing. You know, this is uh, supposed to be a fun sport. Yeah, and we I think a lot of it too for people that haven't really hasn't really got into the sport. It can be intimidating. You mm-hmm. know, they walk into a fly shop and see all these furs and feathers and materials on the wall and rods and all this gear and they're like why do you need all this stuff to catch fish Mm -hmm. and it's really i think that having the approach that we've always taken is we try to kind of break things down to a very you know easy way to kind of get into the sport and not get too tied up with a lot of the depth of the sport you can't get into you can Mm -hmm. go as far into entomology as you want to go but you can also have fun and get started and get kind of get your feet wet, so to speak, and mm-hmm. um, without diving in too deep, you know, and uh, and grow with the sport and learn as you go. Yeah, and I've never understood why somebody doesn't like being around people who, in their eyes, aren't as good of fishermen as them and wants to be a guide. It's like you realize your job as a guide is to take people out who aren't as good as you, hopefully, at least in that particular species or area. So it's like you're just you're setting yourself up for a bruising of a career because it's like <laughs> that's like being a teacher and not liking kids or something exactly or, you know? it doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> um well tell me so you know let's talk about georgia because i don't think very many people think of georgia as a fly fishing state it's just not on most people's radar um but we were talking about this earlier in the shop you guys have a lot of cool stuff that you do offer as a state just kind of give me the rundown of why fish and do outdoor things in in Georgia. Yeah, man, absolutely. And, and I think you're right. I mean, unfortunately, you are right in that regard. But I think more and more people are realizing what we do, what, what the mm-hmm. state of Georgia has to offer. You know, between the mountains, uh, you know, a lot of things is like uh, a lot of people come to me and they'll say, well, I don't really fly fish, but I bass fish. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I bass fish as well. You know, I, mm-hmm. I love bass fishing. I grew up in South Georgia, bass fishing. Um, but I've made bass fish with a fly rod versus a conventional bait cast mm-hmm. or spinner, spinner rod. Um, but you know, it's, you know, the cool thing about Georgia to me is so, it's so diverse. I mean, you've got the mountains, you've got, you know, it's like South Georgia, the Flint river, the Chattahoochee that flows through, um, down through South Georgia. Um, and, and you've got so many opportunities between, you know, 
bass, you know, shoal bass, white bass, striped bass, hybrid bass, um, largemouth, obviously. And then you've got trout in the mountains. And then on the coast, uh, we've got a great coast. You've got, you know, tarpon fishing, red fishing, um, just a good, diverse area within five to six miles, oh, not miles, but hours, mm-hmm. rather, um, apart, you know. So you could literally be, like this past weekend, my, my daughter was out for fall break, and we were at Cape Sandblast. Mm-hmm. And so we go down, take my wife and daughter, and we fish a little bit. It's mm-hmm. kind of more of a family trip. Spent more time kind of on the beach, just enjoying being outside. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, six hours, I'm at Cape Sandblast. Um, so it's, it's so many different, you know, it's so diverse in that way, and that's yeah. what I enjoy about it. I mean, I love going to d- different destinations and fishing for different species. Um, I really enjoy the travel aspect, and it's not even just going like to these like international kind of locations. It's more I enjoy uh, just locally fishing areas I've never fished. I mean, we've got a great fishery in the southeast, you know, mm-hmm. including you know Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia um, are great places to, to fish. And they're all close. I mean, here in Blue Ridge, we, uh, you know, within an hour, we can be on Nantahala uh, River in North mm-hmm. Carolina. We can do that. But there's a lot of things that this corner of Georgia offers that I enjoy about Blue Ridge, Georgia, especially. And even beyond fly fishing, um, it's just a cool area, man. We've got, you know, plenty of just, you got whitewater rafting, you got fly fishing, mountain biking, hiking mm-hmm. trails. Um, it's just a really cool spot, and uh, and it's it's close enough to the salt because I do love saltwater fishing mm-hmm. a lot. I really enjoy that as well, and it's, it's it gives you that kind of. We have a lot of clients that are from Florida, you know, that come up to Blue Ridge, and we we're always sharing stories. They're telling me snook and redfish and tarpon mm-hmm. and permit stories, and I'm telling them trout stories, and they love coming up here for trout, and and I'm thinking how soon can I get down and go tarpon fishing? So it's a uh, it's just a good mix of of everything uh in north georgia yeah and you talked to me about how one of the things that you love about owning a shop is developing up these communities of people who like to fish and then actually organizing beyond just your own backyard about different trips could you talk to me about how that fits into what you guys do here at cutta as far as organizing destination travel yeah yeah so yeah you know it's we do it for, for lots of reasons. Uh, one, we enjoy the adventure of going somewhere different and fishing. And uh, the way we do it, we all, always hire local guides in those areas. Mm-hmm. If it's Louisiana, we hire Louisiana guides for our Redfish in mm-hmm. Louisiana trip that we've got coming up November 7th this year. Um, wherever we're going, we hire the local guides for those areas. I basically, myself or one of my guides or my manager at the shop will be the host of the trip. So we get a group of people together, um, preferably nice people that like mm-hmm. that, that enjoy traveling and are easy to get along with, mm-hmm. and uh, we enjoy we just take them to these destinations and we basically line up all the uh, travel plans, airlines, what have you, um, and you know we're not a yellow dog travel kind of company. Mm-hmm. You know, we we do this to kind of help um, add a service as a fly shop. Because, frankly, you can talk with someone over the counter in a store to your blue in the face. Mm-hmm. But when you get on a boat with someone and fish with them, you truly start building those relationships. You know, mm-hmm. and people start really seeing how all this works and they get really into it. So we, we enjoy that side of it and, like, really try to, um, to, to give some variety. Like Baja, Mexico is one of our places that we mm-hmm. go and have been for five would have been six years this year. COVID kind of messed our plans up on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but have plans to go back to Baja next year. And that's one of our kind of what I would call our fl- one of our flagship trips. It's a, uh, It's been a really good destination for us. And, you know, frankly, it, it also helps us with business. I mean, mm-hmm. the business side of it, you know, um, in Baja, we, you know, typically are fishing like intermediate lines, 10 weights and nine, 10 weights. Some some of our you know clients may or may not have those rods they may need rods sometimes Mm -hmm. they buy them from us sometimes they buy them elsewhere but they do need gear for that for that trip so that helps us in some sales for retail um and get them equipped and ready to go and have the proper equipment to to fish with but but beyond that it's just really a good relationship building process Mm -hmm. through travel in my opinion anyway 
you said, you know, you can talk to people till they're blue in the face in the shop, but then when you get on the boat, something's different. What do you feel like is, is different about that? Well, you just kind of connect, you know, you, you know, if you're, let's say you're, um, in a situation where you're red fishing or tarpon fishing, where you're sight fishing, you're kind of taking turns on the bow. Mm -hmm. Um, that's an opportunity to really build your client up and like give them some kind of be a cheerleader, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and really kind of help them through that depending on their experience level. Um, so you, you get to kind of help them, but in a way that is, really relaxed and mm-hmm. uh, in an environment that's relaxed um it's relaxed until you see a string of tarpon come and then everything yeah. changes in a or hurry or if you mess it up <laughs> or if you mess it up um or how many shots you're gonna get get before yeah. i get an opportunity on the bow but yeah. but the other side of it is it's just um i don't know it's uh you know the whole the whole thing with travel and, and even fishing I and mean, even locally you know is like the the process you know uh, you get up in the morning wherever you are in the world to fish and you're excited to go you're mm-hmm. looking forward to getting out there um you got to have all your gear together you got to have your all your leaders built and everything you know ready to roll and just that aspect of the um the unknown like what's going to happen today you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah um that's what i live for i love just that the just the drive to go somewhere or a flight going to a destination of just thinking about what it may be like i try not to ever have expectations mm-hmm. um i find that you don't have to manage expectations if you don't have expectations um go with a positive attitude mm-hmm. um go in it with the attitude of uh you know excitement and looking forward to being out there and you're going to have good days you're going to have bad days you're going to have weather days uh, that's going to blow you off the water mm-hmm. or whatever may happen but it's all about making the best of each day yeah. you know whatever whatever you got whatever you're dealt that day is yeah. just make the best of it and, well we were and, supposed to fish together last week down yeah. in in my area and it was like kind of came down to it and it was just like not not really gonna not, not gonna happen and right how do you help? I mean, let's talk about managing expectations because whether you're fishing with kids or you're fishing with a client, you know, saltwater, freshwater, running a guide operation, whatever, expectation management is very important with having a good time. I mean, what what are some tips that you could give on that? Well, you know, one thing that we do is like in the shop, we try to gather as much information as we can when we first get that phone call. We mm-hmm. have a lot of people that call the shop to book trips. We have a lot of walk-in clients as well. We really try to be thorough with the conversation mm-hmm. in the beginning. You know, what does like, that look like? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, one one question, obviously, is have you ever fly fished before? In um, my backyard all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So <laughs> In you know, grass with no wind. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean. So, you know, you ask a lot of questions and you listen. Um, I think the biggest thing in life is to listen to what people don't just mm-hmm. talk and talk. Just listen to what people have to say and and if you know try to find out what their experience level is to some degree um let them know what kind of expectations you know they should basically kind of help them manage their expectations it's like hey tomorrow um you know we've got we had some rain last night type thing we got some conditions here we think we're still going to be successful but it may be a little bit challenging you know just be up front with people if it's at a point where it's not fishable we're going to tell them that as well it's mm-hmm. like it's not worth going just like you and i made that call mm-hmm. like it's just not worth getting out there um so we want to we always are up front with everyone in that way you know in terms of that and if it's kids involved you know we love taking kids fishing uh, our guides mm-hmm. are awesome um I'll, I'll brag on my guides they do a really really good job um garner's been with me for 10 years um well, sorry, he's been with me for 11 years. Um, he does an excellent job. So does, you know, I mean, Drew and all of them, Matt mm-hmm. and Cole and all the guys that's working with me now do a really good job. And, you know, they, they're good with kids. They're good mm-hmm. with – and that's what I tell people in the shop too. It's like it doesn't – the cool thing about fly fishing, it doesn't matter how old you are, young mm-hmm. or old. Uh, if you're, you know, 10 or 70, you can start fly fishing, mm-hmm. you know. And that's – I guess when when our guides go out with people, that's the first thing they try to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to tell our guys on that end is, like, really try to kind of figure out 
who you're dealing with, mm-hmm. what kind of guides, you know, what, what kind of, what are these people looking to do? I mean, what do they really want to do mm-hmm. that day? Not just catch fish, but uh, some some people go fishing for different reasons. Um, maybe they got a big trip. They're going out to Jackson Hole or Missoula or wherever out west, and they've never been on a drift boat before. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an opportunity locally if you're in the Atlanta, Birmingham, Nashville, any area of Chattanooga in this area around Blue Ridge to come here, give them an opportunity to get kind of, again, get their feet wet, like be out and, uh, and kind of hone in some skills before they go. Uh, maybe they'll be more successful when they, when they hit like the South Fork or whatever, when they get out West. But, um, just as an example, mm-hmm. obviously there's yeah. a, great, a lot of great waters out West, but, um, and there's a lot of great waters here, you know, as well, but, um, that's that's really kind of what we do just ask a lot of questions and try to get a feel for what they do if we deal with someone that's maybe has more like say saltwater experience because again we do get a lot of folks from florida up this way Mm -hmm. um and they like streamer fishing or they know what that's about and how how to you know really streamer fish um that may be something we key in on and say okay you know this guy's a little bit more experienced or this lady's a little bit more experienced mm-hmm. we want to take you know we want to take them to a maybe something to do something a little different than we yeah. maybe would do with someone that has no experience mm-hmm. um so now uh, hopefully that answered the question but that's that's kind of no no that i think that's a lot of people's challenges you know even myself like i took my daughter out we were up here in uh in rising fawn georgia mm-hmm. And we were doing a lot of bass fishing out of a little boat by the, the little cabin. We were staying on a cabin on 130 acres, and they had cows and four-wheelers, and we were having fun. And I'd just take her out for like an hour in a little john boat on a little farm pond. Yeah. Probably not much different than what you grew up fishing. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I want to say every other cast, I'm dealing with a tangle, you know, <laughs> of some sort. She's pretty bad at a, the weight of the lure whipping around the rod tip, you know, and I'm like, trying to coach her on that but it's tough in the moment you know we caught a couple fish actually but uh you know expectations she's getting frustrated um so then i just with her i just hey let's just head back in you know right but yeah i think that's a hard that's a really challenging part of of what you do is is managing that and when people put a lot of money on the line and there's been thousands of dollars you know it can be hard to have a weather day or whatever yeah it, it definitely can you know most folks that we deal with you know and i would say 95 percent of people we deal with maybe even 98 percent are really good people you know they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're they're very understanding they want to learn you know they they want they want to they, there's a reason why they're paying for it because mm-hmm. they want to get in the sport we just try to give them the best experience we possibly can you know mm-hmm. within that time frame that they book you know with us and um but yeah, talking about like farm pond fishing, you know, like I said earlier, I've been very, very fortunate to go to a lot of cool places and fish. But the, just the roots of going back to getting in a John boat and throwing mm-hmm. bass poppers, you know, for big bluegill or bass, man, I, I, I can't think of anything I'm probably happier doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy that kind of, uh, I don't know, it just kind of takes you back to where it all began. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's simple. I, I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it's a great way to teach mm-hmm. kids, too, because um, you're not dealing with a lot of times with flowing water or mending lines or, you know, proper presentation, per se. Um, you know, you, it's a little bit more forgiving when you're on still water in yeah. a pond. And you can, no trees. Well, sometimes there's trees, sometimes but a there's lot of trees, times you can get away from trees, yeah. you know. Yeah, for sure. That was my problem when I was a kid. My that's why I didn't fly fish as a kid. I, I did it a couple times and I was just, it was all Tennessee fly fishing. Right. And I was just living in the trees. I oh, mean, yeah. just, that yeah. was, I couldn't handle it. So I just got into uh, smallmouth fishing with little plugs right. you know, instead. But yeah, oh, yeah. no, it can be frustrating. Obviously, you know, when there's yeah. trees around and fly fishing in trees, yeah. I'll be in them today. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You don't really outgrow that one if you're, if you're like me, but, um, uh, so when I when I walked in the store, we were talking about travel trips, and I thought one of the things I didn't expect to see in a fly shop in Georgia was a rooster fish. Tell me the story behind catching this gigantic rooster fish. Well, you know the that particular fish you're speaking of. <clears throat> excuse me, I um I didn't catch that fish. Um, I caught a, a nice fish last year on this trip. Um, two days later, my client uh, Wes Brock 
caught this enormous rooster fish. Um, I wasn't in the boat with him the day it happened. Um, it was just absolutely, I, I didn't even realize they got that big. I knew mm -hmm. they got big, but I mean, it's just like a 70 pound rooster fish. Yeah. And all the guys were so excited for him on the trip that we all chipped in, um, and did a, like a replica mount for him. And mm -hmm. that's why it's in the shop now. Um, I told him the deal was we were going to pay for it and we would keep it in the shop for one year. He could have it back. One year came, uh, the one year anniversary came up on that. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, he said, I don't have anywhere to put it in my house or anywhere in my office to put it. So just, if you got a place, put it, just, you know, use it in the shop. So you ever have someone come in and say, can you take me to catch one of these out here? <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 what people, is this stream monster here? Yeah. People ask, are those in the Tacoa? I was like, nah, man. Uh, nah. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. People will be coming. But, in, they, they might take Georgia a little more serious, fly fishing wise. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. You know, and that's the thing. Again, talking about Georgia, man. I mean, I I, uh, I I'm obviously a native Georgian. Grew up in South Georgia, and I've been I've traveled. I live in North Carolina for about a seven year stint. But you know, uh, I but between the striper fisheries and the reservoirs and the rivers that we've got and the the coast and the trout and the mountains, man, it's just such a uh, diverse place and just a great place mm -hmm. to fly fish and you know that's one thing in our other store that we had over in, in cartersville for for a while is that we kind of pioneered the drift boat fishing uh fly fishing for striper out of a drift boat mm -hmm. um you know i'm sure there's other people out there and if someone listens to the podcast they may you know challenge me on that but i know in our area there was no one doing it to my knowledge and that just kind of brought a whole new aspect to what we're what we could offer as a guide service because mm -hmm. you know when you get in a drift boat you're typically getting in a drift boat with a five six or maybe a seven weight streamer rod or what have you mm -hmm. but to get in a drift boat with nine and ten weights geared up for uh you know 15 20 pound fish um and they're not all obviously 15 20 mm -hmm. pounds but they obviously can be and we've caught the, the fish to that that size or bigger but uh you know, we also catch a lot of five and seven pound fish as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to oversell something and whatever, yeah. but you know, it's managing expectations. Cool, exactly. Yeah. Managing those expectations. But, uh, <laughs> it's a super cool, uh, thing to do. Uh, you know, targeting, you know, different kind of structure, log jams, riffles, run shoals yeah. and what have you. Um, and, uh, and getting tight on a striped bass and, and moving current, you know, mm -hmm. that's really cool. Y'all um, using like streamers or? Well, yeah, I mean, streamers, like, bait fish patterns, you know, yeah. like in the Etowah, basically, you know, thread fin and, and, uh, and gidder shed or primary forage fish, you know, mm -hmm. forage there. So that's more of a streamer type scenario. But again, the, uh, the popper and smaller streamer, um, <coughs> excuse me, the fishing is really good because, you know, you've got, really good we got a great spot of bass fishery as well mm -hmm. so um those are a lot of fun to catch you know mm -hmm. and actually the fall striper for our striper season kind of is more of a summer fishery for us uh, more of a late spring and through the summer mm -hmm. um it you can still catch them in the fall but it kind of tails out a little bit in the fall and uh but the fall is a great time to get out uh with you know some top water poppers and uh it's a lot of fun for sure yeah, what's the uh, what do you feel like is key in catching striped bass in the fall out here? What's the most important thing to? Well, you know, it kind of depends. If you're, you know, we primarily focus on rivers. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where we're kind of where we are in terms of uh, striper fishing. Um, there's obviously reservoirs in the area mm -hmm. that people focus on striper fishing. Uh, that scenario, you know, you're going to be looking. You know, actually. You know the successful guys that do that are looking for birds working they're also mm -hmm. on, on reservoirs um they work looking for that looking for humps the different places that um that the fish will you know push bait in certain areas um and and, and using your graph you know mm -hmm. sometimes sinking lines you know that type of scenario where you need to kind of get down to the fish if they're not surfacing or pushing bait on, on top mm -hmm. but uh as far as river fishing you know it's more of a it's more of a search mission, you know, kind of thing. It's not like you really, you, you can sight fish at times. That's not very common, uh, but you can, you know, drift up on, on fish. You see fish, you can, mm -hmm. you can present a fly properly, swing it down to them and you can get a take. But, um, but most of the time you're, you're basically fishing to structure that, you know, looks fishy, you know, mm -hmm. looks like fish should be there. And that could be log jams. It could be, shoals we have a lot of indian fish traps on the etowah dated back 2000 years ago uh it's a really cool um, yeah river with all the 
um, you know, fish weirs and so forth that uh, travel basically through uh, Georgia and into Alabama on the cold Coosa River Basin. Mm-hmm. So, Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, if, if it's good with you, I'd love to transition into some rapid-fire questions sure. and, and kind of think about some of that. So for you, if you could only do one style of fishing in, in Georgia, what would it be? You know, I, that's a hard question for me because I love it all. That's, the, mm-hmm. that's probably one of my weaknesses is that I love fishing for everything. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm, I may be okay with a lot. Maybe not extremely good at one, one yeah, thing because yeah. I love to do it all. But uh, I, uh, I, I, I really enjoy streamer fishing. Uh, it's, it's, act, it's action-packed. You're, you're casting a lot. You're, you're kind of, as you're floating down rivers, you're looking at your next presentation, where your fly needs to land. Um, just the take typically on that is pretty aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy that style of fishing, and obviously, you know, top water. Everybody loves dry fly fishing. You know, oh, yeah. you're a fly fisherman, you love the dry fly. Um, but anything on top is is awesome as well. But I really enjoy stri- uh, streamer fishing. So, out of all the places that you've traveled, what's your your favorite destination to take people to? Um, I would I would probably have to say. Uh, there's two destinations. It's kind of hard to pick one. Baja is, a, is its own kind of animal within itself. It's a, just a cool place and uh, wild and cool and just a really, really cool place to go. Um, people enjoy that just from the environment they're in. You know, we're on the beach on Sea of Cortez. It's a gorgeous place to hang out. We, mm-hmm. we, uh, the way we do the trip's awesome because we have. Uh, these two Mexican ladies that cook for us are at just unbelievable mm. food that we eat. Um, one of my clients was with me a couple of years ago, and he's like, man, I got to tell you, you did a really poor job on this trip. It's one thing you were not very good at. And I was like, what is that? He says, you didn't let us know how good the food was going to be. Uh, it's, I mean, it's sushi, uh, sashimi, and, uh, you know, just great food. And mm. just the whole experience, man, is really cool. Um, and also um, – I know this is a big change between uh, Baja, but I love taking people red fishing, mm-hmm. um, whether it be anywhere, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be on the Georgia coast, whether it be uh, in Louisiana, uh, Charleston, wherever we go. Um, there's so many good places in Florida, mm-hmm. South Carolina, Louisiana. Obviously, is you know kind of has gotten a lot of press on the, on the redfish in the last several, you know, few years or many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, the thing about the redfish trip I really enjoy is that it's easy for us. We drive typically. I have some clients that fly in. Like this year, I got two guys from Texas coming in. Um, we pick them up in New Orleans, drive down towards Venice, and uh, we fish that area. Not say we fish Venice always. Just to, Again, depending on conditions, we may fish different areas around Venice, northwest, east, whatever. But um, – it's uh it's just a one cool environment to be in in the marsh i love the marsh mm-hmm. and sight fishing is obviously great um it's a lot of fun to watch clients you know knees start kind of knocking when they see a 25 pound 30 pound bull redfish you know and they they're trying to lay a fly on their nose and mm-hmm. um it's just it's just a cool experience man and if you do things you know, I don't want to oversell this because I think people have done this in the past. We're like, oh, redfish, you know, they're easy, you know, whatever. I don't think so. I mean, they will eat. You know, if you get mm-hmm. a fly around them. But it also depends upon, like, where you're fishing and how pressured that particular, you know, fishery you know, is in terms of the location. So it's, and I think it's it's not a fair statement to say that redfish are easy you mm-hmm. know, in any way. Uh, but I th- but I enjoy the redfish mm-hmm. uh, trips a lot. Last weekend, I was in uh, Tampa Bay fishing for redfish, fly fishing for redfish. It was unbelievably challenging. Yep. They were very spooky, very mm-hmm. skittish, and, of course, insanely pressured and sure. uh, very challenging. Beautiful, cool fishery, but very challenging. Um, 
Speaking of challenges, what's been the most challenging uh, fish for you to chase with all of your travel adventures? Well, I guess uh, it would have to be the, uh, John Trevally. Um, I got an opportunity three years ago to go to the Seychelles and a trip of a lifetime for me. I may not ever get an opportunity to go back. Mm-hmm. I sure hope there's a way I can do that and, and host that potentially mm-hmm. one day. Um, but I had a fish that really hurt my feelings uh, there, and yeah. I wake up with cold sweats at two in the morning over this one. Still, um, it was a uh, I was uh, casting his twelve weight rod, big popper, um, over the top of these coral heads, and I had a just an absolute bolts wagon come out of the water um, and eat my popper and got me into the coral so fast I had no chance of trying to stop mm-hmm. it and we're fishing 130 pound suffolk straight to the fly and it it damn near pulled me out of the boat and mm-hmm. um so um that one it happened so fast and i'd already been on the bow for probably 30 minutes casting this 12 weight you know and working this big popper so i was already getting a little bit fatigued and then when that all happened and went down it was it seemed like it happened so fast and it did happen so mm-hmm. fast but it, it wrapped me so quick and, and was off uh, before I could. I mean, I'm just basically trying to hold the line back. Typically, you know, tarpon or, or other species you, you, you catch, you, you know, once you get a good hook set, you're trying to feed the line back to your reel properly without any catastrophe going on and, uh, and get back onto your reel. Whereas in that situation, you don't want to give them anything. And I just absolutely couldn't hold the fish back. And mm-hmm. after about 45 minutes of just shaking, uh, I couldn't uh, couldn't contain myself. I, mm-hmm. I I turned and looked at Alec. Uh, Alec Gerbert was our guide that day. He was the head guide at, at Alphonse at the time. And I asked him, I said, Alec, how big was that fish? He goes, oh, that one's at least 90 pounds. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, again, you know, that one was a, a tough one, kind of a heartbreaker. You know, you think about it. and uh, But it, it's fishing, you know, it's kind of, kind of part of the deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, yeah, that, I think about that one a lot. What do you feel like is the biggest challenge for fly shops right now, or just bait, bait and tackle shops in general? Yeah. Well, you know, the uh, obviously one challenge is online shopping. You know, yeah. that's everybody. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows that, but it's you know, I think there's still a place. There's there's definitely a place uh, for fly shops, uh, and that's why it's so important to try to do a good job. You know, mm-hmm. one. You know be knowledgeable have a knowledgeable staff that knows how to rig you know here at Cahutta, if you're going brook trout fishing uh we know how to rig we know what flies you need for that if you're going tarpon fishing we can set up a tarpon reel for you on uh, the proper knots and so mm-hmm. forth and and get a line uh, that's appropriate for what you're going to be doing so although we're in the mountains you know we fish for a lot of different fish uh different species and we travel quite a bit so it gives us a little bit uh, a lot more diversity even as a shop because Mm -hmm. we don't only trout fish we do trout fish quite a bit obviously because it's our backyard but i think having a knowledgeable staff friendly staff again you know no bs be sincere um you know you have to do those things because we realize i realize as a fly shop owner People can buy stuff anywhere. It really depends on what they want, where they want to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that they would like to support someone like our shop and other good shops in Georgia as well that are good people that do a good job. You know, mm-hmm. um, that live it every day. Um, it's not a part-time gig for me. You know, we do this all the time. We do it every day, seven days a week. And you know, it's uh, it's it's being passionate about what you do. You know, mm-hmm. you can't teach passion. You either have it or you don't. Uh, again, to brag on my guides, guys in the shop and our guides, fishing guides, if they're not guiding, they're trying to figure out where they're going to go fish next or where they're going hunting or whatever it may be. They they live every day for it. Um, you know, again, when you're, when you're speaking with someone, uh, that you've never met, um, you either have passion or you don't, and people can read that. And uh, my guys are genuine. You know, mm-hmm. we we work hard at being authentic in our the way we do things. We don't try to, you know, ride people's coattails, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We don't look at what other people are doing. You know, we try to do our thing. We always have been that way, mm-hmm. and we take pride in that because, you know, we want to be different. We want to be unique, and uh, that's that's kind of I think, if I had to hang my hat on one thing, it'd be customer service and 
and providing a good positive experience when people come in the shop Mm -hmm. that makes them kind of indirectly want to support you and they Mm -hmm. want you to be around you know so that's the approach we take and so far so good it's worked for us pretty well so Mm -hmm. so as somebody who works a lot with gear purchasing gear etc more than most of the guides that i sit down with what advice do you have based off of your insight in in all of that can you give people in terms of what gear to pick out for yeah how to pick out gear maybe what to focus on what's what's really important just any type of insight as somebody who handles a lot more than the average person yeah sure i mean again ask questions you know uh yeah, let's, say, let's say we're having a conversation about waders. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to fish two times a year or 200 times a year. Um, mm-hmm. May decide what waiter you need, uh, what quality waiter you may need, or mm-hmm. what price point you may be willing to spend. Same way with rods and reels, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it comes down to quality. If you're going to be in certain situations where you know you're definitely going to need that, that you know, seal drag system or what have you for whatever type of saltwater you know application you're using it for, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it really just kind of what I try to do is educate the customer, ask questions of what they are. Are they new at the sport or just trying to get into it? Are they looking to upgrade to something different? Um, there's a lot of good gear on the market. I mean, there's a lot of good manufacturers make a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, for us, and that's a challenge for me as a fly shop owner is trying to decide what to carry. You know, what do we want to have in the store? Um, because there is so many good options out there these days. Um, It really comes down to just kind of trying to figure out what fits your model as far as your business model and what you're looking to do with your store. Mm -hmm. And maybe, and then obviously looking at numbers and past, you know, historical data, sales data, like what's working, what's not working, and try to make as good of decisions as you can possibly Mm -hmm. make. If someone has retail 100%, entirely figured out i would love to have a conversation with them uh, it's mm-hmm. a it's a challenging thing to do but um we you just do your best that's all you can do mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times we are kind of rolling the dice a bit about what next year holds or you know obviously this year has been a little bit challenging with uh with covid but the other side of that story is um and i like to focus on positives and not negatives and mm-hmm. i think that one thing that covid has done for the sport of fly fishing is it's really given a lot of people an opportunity just never really thought about fly fishing mm-hmm. or getting outdoors to really want to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, we saw a surge in it this past um, really late spring, early summer, mm-hmm. after kind of quarantine time was, you know, people were starting to get out a little bit more. They had been kind of locked, you know, on lockdown for a while and and uh, with their businesses or work or what have you. And you know, I think the outdoor industry as a whole, you know, has really seen a surge this past year um, with whether it be paddling or mountain biking or fly fishing or whatever. I think it's really opened a lot of people's eyes to, you know, let's get outside mm-hmm. and do something fun, you know. And that leads me to my next question. So if can you give me the overview of the progression of how you would work with somebody if I walked in your shop today, brand new, just during quarantine watched river runs through it and i'm ready to go and you want to get me from day one in the shop to on one of these trips with you where i'm i'm a great angler all around angler what what are the big kind of milestones or progressions that you're going to try to do well you know basically just kind of again seeing exactly where you are you know what kind of gear do you have what what are your interests Mm -hmm. and do you have interest in travel uh have you have you um Let's say from blank blank slate, no, no gear, nothing. Like, how are you going to start me, and how are you going to what What are the the little What's the pipeline that sure. you're going to move me through? You yeah, think? yeah, for sure. So what I what I do is, and then what all my sales guys do as well, and the guys that work the shop. You know, we we basically are here in in in, in our training uh, with our our staff. You know, the one thing we really focus on is is we want to educate the the consumer we want to educate that client that can that customer in our shop and it's their money they can spend it as they wish but we will take them through like a rod and reel setup mm-hmm. you know this is like your combo package you know this mm-hmm. is your um next step up if you will you know and what kind of cost is associated um you know i really focus a lot on people that are really serious about the sport i don't really go 
I talk about a combo, but really um, I'm real big as far as like vesting in the sport. Like if you're going to do this, if you spend a little bit more money on the front end, and it's not a sales pitch, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really like I've seen so many people trying to get into it and they buy them a $200 combo or whatever, and three months later they're back in the shop and say, man, I wish I had spent my money on something a little bit nicer, a little bit, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's great. The combos are great to get people in the sport depending on their budget or what they want to do. But the other side of it is there's a sense of like, hey, I'm vested into this. You know, if I go to the next level, maybe you don't buy a $900 fly rod, but mm-hmm. maybe if you're in that mid-range four or $500 price point and get a nice setup, you're excited about the gear you bought. Mm-hmm. You don't think you bought just something, you know, less adequate to, to use. Mm-hmm. Um, you're excited because you spend a little extra money and you're vested and you really are excited and fired up about doing it. So that same conversation takes place with boots, waders, mm-hmm. you know, bags packs you know whatever it may be if you want fanny pack you want you know whatever sling mm-hmm. pack whatever fits you you want vest you know whatever everybody's different everybody has their own way of kind of going about it but um you know once someone if they're very new at it and they, and they they the first thing we do we also we offer on the water school so the on the water school is that we we basically book that as a guide trip you mm-hmm. know what i mean so it's like if it's you and a buddy per se, you know, let's say, then it would be you two guys or you and your wife or whatever mm-hmm. with one of our instructors. And it's not a group of 12, 20 people, you know, at just getting a little bit of attention here or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not that that's a bad thing, but we feel like you get a lot better experience by, you know, having that one-on-one kind of thing mm-hmm. and get really value for your dollar uh, with that. So that's how we do it. So that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Next level is book a guide trip, you know, book a guide trip with us. And then, we offer casting, um, you know, casting lessons. Uh, if you want to get more advanced where you're casting, we're going to obviously start you out, you know, basic kind of, you know, basic casting as well as some techniques on the water, again, with trees mm-hmm. in our area, you know, some different ways to make casts, make presentations mm-hmm. without being in the trees every cast. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a joke, but not a joke. You know, we tell clients, like, you know, if, if you can make these casts, we can fish today or mm-hmm. you can stand and watch me tie knots all day and mm-hmm. so we don't say that in a bad way we just say it in a way of like put it things again in perspective yeah of like you know we can stay out of trees and catch you know have opportunity to catch more fish or you know you can sit here and watch me tie knots all day and go mm-hmm. through a million flies yeah well it's hey <laughs> if you want to get the most so, out of this yeah. you got to put in this work and i know a lot of tarpon guides who are like man you know you're coming down for four days you're gonna fish with me we're going to get shots, but like in the meantime, you have to work on your double haul. Cause if you cannot double haul, we are going to have some problems. Absolutely. Cause if we get a wind blow up, you know, in the South wind and, and everything's coming, then all of a sudden it's like, man, you've, you've spent so much and you've invested so much, but you just didn't, you didn't set yourself up. And there's a guide, unless you're going to have your guide cast for you, which I've never seen, <laughs> you, you know, no. um, you know, then yeah. So, my last question is, so, you know, we walked in here and we're down in the basement area, which is super, really cool area to hang out and talk. And you got this wall over here filled with photos of different trips and clients and just kind of what you guys have been able to do here at Cahutta over the years. If you could go back to that kid being raised by a farmer in Georgia, <laughs> Jason Bass, um, what would you tell him? Man, that's a tough question. I mean, it's just, you know, things progress with life. You don't really know what, what kind of path you're going to go down. You know, mm-hmm. you just got to, again, I think the one thing I was uh, kind of blessed with uh, in life, and I, you know, is that I'm, I'm a pretty good judge of character. I got good work ethic. I'm sincere. I, I try to do the right thing. And just being passionate about what you do. I mean, this mm-hmm. has been like a natural progression for me because I've done it my most of my life, I've, mm-hmm. I've had a rod in my hand since I was old enough to hold a rod that I can remember catching, you know, bluegill shellcracker, you know, my mm-hmm. dad uh, on crickets and, and, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's it's just kind of one of those things, I think, being observant and watch what's going on around you, you know, watch what other people are doing and, and what successes they have uh, had or whatever and, and just kind of, you know, for me, man, like you go back to the people in this industry – 
uh, like Jose Wahibe mm-hmm. and, and Flip Pallet and Stu App and Lefty Cray, and I don't want to leave anybody out because there's a bunch of greats mm-hmm. out there, man. But, you know, I remember watching Walker K Chronicles, you know, and that was one of the big impact in my life, you know, the, and just, just the whole appreciation that, that, that Flip had for the environment and how mm-hmm. he – told the stories it was just one of the coolest things and it really impacted me man like it was mm-hmm. one of those things that like i couldn't wait for walker k chronicles to come on and watch yeah. that show you know um and uh in spanish fly you know i got an opportunity i, I met flip once in atlanta show you know a few years mm-hmm. ago and don't really know him that well mm-hmm. obviously but have a lot of you know admiration for him as mm-hmm. you know for sure but and I met Jose once at the Square Grouper down at Kajo Key. Uh, he's eating dinner one night, and I, mm-hmm. he, he and I actually had a mutual friend that he had on his sh- on his show once. That was a uh, blues guitarist out of Savannah, and just a super cool experience to get to talk with Jose and, and meet him. Just a super nice guy, mm-hmm. and just those kind of people, man. It's like really paved the way for what the you know the youth or, or I say youth, but like just the way where we are now with the fly fishing industry, how far it's come in such a short period of time. Um, I know I, I listened to your podcast with flip a while back and I just remembered him saying about how things have changed, you know, with technology mm-hmm. and with GPS and things of that sort. And just beyond that, man, like the social media side of it, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Instagram, Facebook and things, you know, we obviously do it as well. You know, we, we're, we're do we have our, our followers and we have our Instagram mm-hmm. account and it's it's something you have to kind of do in this day and age but I'm kind of old school that I'm not really you know most of my guys are helping me with all these basically making the posts they're not helping mm-hmm. me doing it they're, they're doing all this stuff you mm-hmm. know Jacob my manager does an excellent job with that stuff and it's it's something you have to do but I think it needs to be it needs to be um done in a proper way mm-hmm. you know it's not like overnight success stories you know with some of these folks that are just haven't really paid their dues and haven't been in it very long yeah. or it, it's i don't know it's just it's a tough topic you know it's just it's a tough one but because you you know you can't really complain or say anything about it when we're doing it as well but you know there's there are, are these like kind of insta famous or instagram yeah. you know, it's like overnight they're like hey man i got caught one nice fish and now i'm like the guide you should book for you know mm-hmm. whatever it is what it is it's not going to go away um but that's that's kind of frustrating for at times you know yeah. for me to see that because i know how hard we work i know we don't we're not part-time at this we do it every day we work mm-hmm. hard at it so you know what we do post there's stuff that we're doing and uh experiences we're having with our clients that are real and mm-hmm. it's like you know we're working hard at it and i'm not trying to take away from anybody else by saying that I'm just making a, a statement mm-hmm. that, you know, there's been a lot of things, I guess, part of that too, the whole hot spotting, you know, places and like, you know, this, there's a there's a sense of like when you, back when I was younger, I had an atlas in a, you know, I had an atlas, a gazetteer map and mm-hmm. it was like figured out. You might drive two hours on a dirt road and mm-hmm. get to a spot and find out that that place wasn't as special as you thought it was but that was part of the experience you know you didn't have google maps to go study and go to go to these areas and so it's just kind of a catch-22 it's good and bad you know it's Mm -hmm. a part of life it is what it is but um but anyway my i actually have one more question even even though i have a tendency of never asking the actual last question but i want to talk about really quick man georgia food culture I love food. I love cooking food. I love eating food. What do I need to know about food up here? Well, uh, you know, uh, I'm a big foodie myself. Um, folks that know me uh, can tell in the last couple of years I've gained, gained a few pounds. But, no, the, the barbecue, obviously, you know, is high on mm-hmm. my list. You know, I love barbecue. I like – I've got a smoker myself. I've mm-hmm. got bought a rec tech recently and mm-hmm. love that thing. It's absolutely awesome. Um, but – you know, locally, restaurant-wise, you know, like in Blue Ridge, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll give a shout-out to a couple guys. I mean, it's a Black Sheep uh, restaurant. It's an awesome place to have mm-hmm. a dinner. It's a really good place. Brandon does a great job with that place, and Patrick. They do a really good job. Uh, Misty Mountain Hops is a great spot in town. Chester mm-hmm. uh, Myers I really like that place a lot, too. Great wings uh, in there. Mm-hmm. But as far as, you know, outside of that, man, you know, like, again, growing up in South Georgia, we had this uh, – 
the big pig jig uh, is what it was called. And the big pig jig started many years ago. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Myron Mixon on Pitmasters, but uh, mm-hmm. he's from my area. I went to high school with he and his, his brother, uh, Tracy. And uh, just watching how he's grown that business is, is that's what he does, you know, full time is teach mm-hmm. people how to barbecue. And he's won all this like Memphis in May and won all these the different uh, competitions. And so – you know, my dad knew his dad, you know, when we grew up growing up and it was Jack's Old South Barbecue. And that's just a great, you know, that whole thing with barbecue and then how to competition style cooking and all is oh, yeah. a big thing here in Georgia. But, but you know, and obviously seafood, man. I love seafood. So the Georgia coast is awesome for that. Mm-hmm. Um, don't want to leave, the, leave that out. But, um, but, yeah, I can't think of really anything else, you know, as far as on the food side of things. But, um you know, the other part of the food goes with beer. We have a lot of great breweries in the area. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of good local spots around. So, uh, but, yeah, so that's that's kind of – I can't think of that's anything That's making me hungry, man. I could eat right now for sure. That's man. right. Well, hey, thanks for hanging out with us and, and talking about – one, I just – I love it up here. I think it's beautiful, and uh, I think you guys have a really cool – a really cool uh, setup here. And I'm grateful for your time and your stories, and I hope to I hope to be on the trip on the next gt yeah man absolutely so. i hope we can fish together soon and uh you know then one last thing i'll say too is you know you mentioned the downstairs area i mean it's a cool spot we also do our fly tying classes we kind of put a halt mm-hmm. on that this year just due to covid and everything mm-hmm. but um you know when people come in they're obviously welcome to come down and and you know check out the downstairs and all that good mm-hmm. stuff too and it's a good place for fly tying and after hour you know meetings or events yeah. what have you yeah, this is a this is a cool setup down here, and I got photos in the blog also. But thanks, man. Thanks for hanging out, and I look forward to getting on the water soon. Likewise. Thank you, Hunter. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective.